Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. I want to take a moment and welcome everybody who's watching online, who's with us. We're excited you're here, and we believe that God has something just for you as well today. So though there is not, there's proximity that's separating us, just want to tell you that you are a part of this church family, and we are excited that you are here. So at home, if you're listening online and here in person, can we start off by giving God a shout of praise for what he continues to do after Resurrection Sunday. So we're starting this collection of talks called The Rest of the Story. And this is what we need to talk about. So we in the church world, we're really bad at celebrating Easter. And like we tell people like Jesus raised from the dead, which he did, and that's the starting point of it all. But then we just kind of move on the next Sunday and just go back to preaching normal random stuff. But, but I think we do the world, the church world, a disservice because there's more to the story. And you have to be a part of it. So at the end of Resurrection Sunday, Jesus says, you know, it is finished and, and his job is done. He didn't say it is finished for you and I. That's when we start. And so what happens is, is now we have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells us the continuation of that story that's still going on today. There's way more to the story. So over the course of the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at various men and women that God used in the early church and how that applies to us. So we're going to read right off the bat in the book of Acts. Now, before we get to Acts, let me just give you a little bit of background information. So Acts is the sequel to Dr. Luke's gospel. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the gospels, the life of Jesus. And then you have the sequel, which is written by Dr. Luke, same Luke. And he is same Luke, not say Luke, but hey, let's just do this for Mitzi. Everybody say Luke. I appreciate your participation. So <laughs> it's the same Luke that wrote the gospels. And he's writing to a dude with a weird name, Theophilus. Now here's the reality is that historians and theologians kind of argue as to who Theophilus is, but a few things that they can agree on is that he is wealthy, he's either a new convert, or has decided he's going to pour his money into somebody documenting what happened in the life of Jesus and the early church, because it's too good of a life-changing event to not have historically documented. So who better to hire if you need details than a medical doctor? And Luke gives us exactly what we're hoping for. I mean, you have detail after detail after detail. So he starts off Acts by saying, Dear Theophilus, if you don't know that ahead of time, it will mess it up when you get there. And when you start reading it, you'll mess up what, oh, what does that mean? Who is that? And it'll distract you from the purpose. But we have historical documentation even outside of the Bible of Jesus of Nazareth walking the earth for 40 days. Mitzi, how many days? After the resurrection. We have people who have documented in large groups and small groups him eating and drinking and walking and talking. So it is no ghost. It is no spirit. The risen king has come back again, and death has been defeated. That's the part where you clap and celebrate. Come on. So now we're picking up in Acts 1, verse 1. Here we go. The words of Dr. Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, 
He's talking about his gospel. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So after 40 days, his ascension, and then we don't see him again here physically in a body. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And this is important. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's, he's telling, you've been telling them, you used to go to the Holy of Holies, then you went to the temple, but now the Holy Spirit is coming and you are going to be the temple. So now the Spirit of God can be in you. That's what he's talking about. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, they still didn't get it. See, the disciples, they're, they're still thinking he's going to come and turn over the Roman Empire. That's why he came back, and he's going to establish the kingdom of Israel again, and they're all going to rule with him. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. It's going to be the kingdom of heaven. And while you're here on earth, you're going to suffer. There's going to be pain. It's not going to be easy. But we're doing that because of the hope. Because I told you I would come back, now I'm going up to prepare a place for you. And I still didn't get it. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then here's the key. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then underline this phrase, and the ends of the earth. So he's telling them, I need you to go be the witness as to what happened. He didn't say, go around and tell them all the different Hebrew and Greek you speak and how many Bible verses you have memorized and how long you've been saved and how great you are and how you don't deal with any of these other sins. No, no, that's never going to lead somebody to Christ. He says, go be my witnesses and tell them what you have seen and what I have done. So now what? Are any of you control freaks? That was rhetorical. Anybody married to a control freak? No, no, don't, guys, don't do it. Don't fall for it. Jesus sets the example. Think about this. He spent three years with this ragtag group of misfits. Only three years. That's not very long. And then he says, okay, here's the baton. Go build my church. Like, if that was some of you, you would have been like, okay, you can go build my church. No, just kidding. I'm going to do it because I can do it better than you. But, but Jesus said, now you go. And, and so now what? So now you're going to see men and women start influencing the little world that's around them. It's like a marathon. Some of you don't ever want to do anything for the kingdom of heaven because you only picture people on stage, people leading big churches, people playing guitar and leading worship. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I gave you gifts and you a purpose for this world, the world that's around you. And this is what I'm asking you to be faithful with. It's like the marathon. If I see them running, however many miles a marathon is, I don't even know clearly. But, but if I do that, I'm never going to even start. And, and, and it starts with just getting off the couch and walking around the neighborhood one time. And it's that same way with doing ministry. So let's talk about this. So, so, so Jesus shifts his weight. Paul actually gives us the perfect blueprint. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, this is Paul talking to the people in, in, in Corinth. And he's saying, be imitators of me as I am imitators of Christ. That's your blueprint. As you imitate Christ, you find people that you're pouring into. So do as I do, 
as I follow what Jesus does. So what I want to do today is I want to focus on a woman in the Bible named Tabitha. And she impacted her little community, her little world, and it started a revival. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, still talking about it. Now, here's the bad news for Tabitha, is that the New Testament was written in Greek. So her name in Hebrew is Tabitha. Her name in Greek is Dorcas. Bad luck for Tabitha, because we know her as Dorcas. And so that's what I want to focus on today is the story of Dorcas and how she focused on leaving a legacy rather than being a legend. I'm going to say that again so you can retweet it, at Jason A. Ball. She focused on leaving a legacy rather than being a legend. There's a difference. Think about this. What's the difference? I'll give you two names of people, and it will tell you everything you need to know about the difference between leaving a legend, being a legend, and leaving a legacy. I want you to think about Hugh Hefner and Billy Graham. So Hugh Hefner, brilliant businessman, right? But he used all of his talents and all of the things that God gave him to build a monument to himself so that he could indulge in his fleshly desires and made the world a worse place. Same talents, influence, thinking, business structure. He used it to build a monument to himself. Think about Billy Graham. If I tell you, picture Billy Graham in your mind right now, you probably don't picture him in a big mansion somewhere. You probably don't picture him in a real nice suit or driving a nice car. What do you picture him? I picture him on stage in a pulpit with thousands of people coming, having an experience with Jehovah that changed their life. That's a legacy. The other is a legend. Who is getting the glory out of what you're doing? And will it have eternal consequences in a good way? It's the greatest Ponzi scheme of all time, and we're going to talk about it. So let's hear about the story of Dorcas. Acts uh, 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. What an interesting part of the story. And her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. And then scripture tells us Lydia or Lydia was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men and urged him, please come at once. They just got lucky enough that as she's dying, that Peter, the Peter. Now this is Peter with the Holy Spirit. This is powerful Peter. It's just right over there. So they call him over. Listen to this. This is the the scene. So Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And I love this part. This is going to tell you about who Dorcas is and how she spent her time. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. Scripture doesn't tell us if she was ever married, if she ever had kids, if she was wealthy, what she looked like. All of these different things that you and I think we need before God can use us in big ways. We think, I I, I can't preach. I can't play guitar. I'm too old. I'm too ugly. I don't have enough money. I don't. All of these things that you and I talk ourselves out of of why God can't use you. But Scripture doesn't even bother telling us any of that stuff. What does it tell us? 
It says that she loved on the widows and the poor, which would be the discarded, the cast aside. The ones in society would say, by the time you're a widow, you've already lost your husband. You have no 401k plan. You can't contribute anymore. Society, if you're a widow, traditionally it means you were older and you were female. And they look down as, what, what could you do? And so she spent her time using the gifts that God had given her. It was apparently only her hands and her ability to knit clothing. And she used that to impact the world around her. And so now you have this scene of these widows, and I love this because they're all wearing the stuff that she made for them, and they're telling Peter, look, look at this. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for her. And I want you, I'm not going to tell you yet what happens, but I'm going to tell you this. She's leaving a legacy rather than a legend. I have something that I want you to see. I want you just in your mind to get this picture. And so we're going to have a moment here that you'll probably never forget. At least I know Jeremy won't forget. Will you come up here, please, and put that shirt on? So I want us to just picture this scene. Now imagine that Dorcas is lying here on the ground, and she's dead. Her body is just laying there. And now I've brought to you one of the widows... It says Dorcas. <laughs> Who's wearing something that Dorcas made. But it wasn't just her, was it, Tristan? No, it wasn't. Come on up. Uh, and Mark, come on up. Grant, come on up. Keith, I love you. Come on up. Absolutely. Oh, and I just happened to have one more left. Gerald. <laughs> don't mess up that beautiful head of hair, please. Please. As they're putting this on and then coming up here, spread out a little bit. Uh, I really hung out with a guy on Friday night. This isn't even the notes. This is free. This is for you, Gerald. And uh, he's never actually been to a service here before. And he came on Friday night to hang out. I brought him over to the church, and he said, Next time we hang out, can you bring that one guy? What's his name? Gerald. And I'm like, the legend. No, the legacy of Gerald. So I want you to look at this for a moment. I want you to take this in. One, so you can make fun of them later. But more importantly, because when you read the story of Dorcas, when you go back to your world, to your environment that God has put you in, this is what we're here for. If you can use your talent and you just so happen to make money off of it, good for you. But that's not why God gave it to you. God gave it to you to impact the people that are around you that don't know him. To be his witness. In Samaria, Judea, your job, your neighborhood, your family. We compare what one person does based upon the audience that, the, that they have. But God doesn't. God wants to look for, were you faithful with what he gave you? You may, during a season, the only thing God has for you is to raise godly children in a godly home. Is that enough? It is to God. It was enough for Dorcas. She had this little world of people that needed her. And the, the scripture says she was always helping the poor. It was part of her lifestyle. It's real easy to kind of write a check once in a while when the preacher makes you feel guilty enough. But she made helping people her lifestyle. And then here's what happens. 
She dies. There's people around her all wearing something she made. This is a physical representation of a spiritual legacy. When you leave whatever job you're in right now, are the people that are there better because you were there? Professionally, financially, are they better? I hope so. I like money too. I mean, my clothes aren't free, y'all, obviously. But that's not why I'm here. I'm not here just to wear these skinny tight jeans and this beautiful, awesome floral shirt. It's not why I'm here. I'm here to leave a legacy. If you died today, are your kids prepared to leave a legacy? Are they? I hope mine are. I think some of the times they are. Some of the times I wonder if they're saved. <laughs> but here's, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture this. So now you have this person influenced by Dorcas. After Dorcas is long and gone, this little mini Dorcas is now going to go out and impact her community. And then she's going to take the shirts and put them on her people. And now it's going to spread like a flowchart straight up to heaven. It really is. And so this is what I want you to remember. So when we finish the story, take that picture in your mind of what this looks like, of us be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And then you have a legacy. It's like a coaching tree in sports. When you look and see the head coaches in the NFL and you see they were all under one head coach and they all learned, now they're making an impact. Now they're pouring into their assistant coaches. Okay, can you guys give a hand for all of our Dorcases? Now, as an appreciation, I'm letting you keep those shirts. You can keep those shirts. So let's find out what happens in the second half of this story. Because Dorcas isn't the main focus. The main focus is always Jesus. Always. Verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed turning towards the dead woman. So scripture points out this woman's dead. Not sick, not in a coma. She dead. He said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. We don't talk about this side of Peter. We focus on the gospel Peter where he's arguing and he's cussing out little girls and cutting people's ears off. And that's the one we, this is after Pentecost. And Pentecost is just, uh, means when the Holy Spirit came into the believers. So now you see what a spirit-filled apostle Peter looks like. And he just raised someone from the dead. The same spirit that is in you and I. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows. I love that part. Especially the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known, and here's the whole reason it's in here, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. That's why it happened. Many people, this woman started a revival based upon what she did in a room where no one knew about it. Not on a stage, not on social media, she loved on the people in the world around her. This is the rest of the story. God gave up too much for us to do too little. So now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and it's our job to carry this on. You see, the story of Jesus doesn't end when you're done reading the Bible. I mean, it will end at Revelation, but that's prophetic. But I'm saying it didn't end at the end of those 40 days. The story of Jesus is just going on now so that we will be the witness. 
to Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth. So what do we do? How do we do that? Listen to what Paul wrote in Philippians. You thought Tim Tebow wrote this first, but it was Paul. 2, three, two verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, here it is, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you the interests of others. See, your jobs, they change. Seasons change. Your friends change. Geographically, it may change where you live, but your call never changes. You're called to serve others. You're called to make an impact. You're called to love people and put their needs above yours. That's why it sticks out in society. Oh, my gosh. Look at, look, look at the United States of America. It's all about look how important I am. Look how many people care about what I do. And I have more followers than you have. That's what it's about. And Jesus turned it upside down. It's an upside-down kingdom. I want to tell you a story. We're near the runway. My wife and I, like a few years ago, we would ask, we asked my daughter, my oldest daughter, if she would pray at our, uh, in our meal. And like, it was just the two of us. And I was like, you know what, Mackenzie, why don't you pray? And you never know what that's going to do. But we wanted to practice a little bit. So like when we invited somebody over from church, we would already have this prayer thing down. Because like, I had no idea what she was going to say. Like she could say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Uh, dear God, we had to pay for this food ourselves, so thanks for nothing. I mean, I have no idea what she's going to say. She may have said the, the Lord's Prayer in King James. She didn't, but she may have. Like, so I, we, we tested it out. And I asked Mackenzie, I said, would you pray? And she prayed, and it was kind of just, you know, thank you for my toys, and thank you for you know, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, she says, and I love you, I praise you, and I would do anything for you. And I was like, my wife and I were like high-fiving across the table, like, achievement unlocked, parent win. Poof, like, dude, where'd that come from, man? I doubt that show's on Netflix. I don't know who she learned that from, but let's go. I take full credit for that. And then and, and so the next day, we had her pray again. She, she thought, thank you for you know, the grass and flowers, and I, I love you. I praise you. I'll do anything for you. And I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. So then we had the youngest one pray. Now she's wild, y'all. She takes after her mom. And, and she ended it with, I love you. I praise you. I would do anything for you. And I'm like, this is incredible. So if you ever hear me pray, that's why I started praying that way. I end every one of my prayers. That's a powerful, dangerous prayer. I love you. Okay. I praise you despite my circumstances, despite how I feel. And I would do anything for you. What would that prayer mean to God? I start off by just saying, I love you, not for what you've done for me, but for who you are. I praise you, not because of my circumstances, but because of your faithfulness. And I would do anything for you. There's nothing in my life that the answer isn't yes to. Now, that's dangerous because he may ask you to pack up your whole family and move to a town. Now, I don't know. So I started praying. And that's how it ended. And then once in a while, I'd preach on stage, and, and that's how I would end it. It just kind of became part of who I am. And this is for people who think that they're past their prime, their spiritual prime. I want you to hear this. My grandma, who's now 87 years old, essentially blind, doesn't get to leave the house very much, do much. 
it would be real easy for her to say, I've done my time. I was a preacher's wife. I've loved on the community. And now I don't have a purpose. She lived next door to us at our, at our old house. And so my kids got to go see their great-grandma every single day. Now, most of the time, it was just to get unlimited amounts of popsicles from her, regardless of the time of day. But they would go over there and just spend time with her. And we would have my grandma over. We do still have her over for lunch but it, or dinner. It was a lot easier when there was, we lived closer. And, and I know, because this, this sounds creepy, but sometimes I would be walking by her house doing yard work or whatever, and I'd look in her window, and I'd see her literally on her knees praying. Pray for her kids, her grandkids. Pray for the local church. Don't underestimate the power of a widow's prayer. At that time, it'd be real easy to think God's done with you. But if you were breathing, God has a purpose for you. And even if it's for you to sit in your living room that the world will never know about it, you pray for people. We're about to see in Revelation that those prayers are powerful. They don't dissipate once you say amen. Those prayers linger even after you may be physically gone. So we invite my grandma over for dinner. I ask for her to pray. She's 87. I know that I only have a limited number of times I get to hear her pray. And so I value them just a little bit more. And she prays this beautiful prayer, like just looks like poetry, like she pre-wrote it. As she ends her prayer with I love you, I praise you, and I would do anything for you. And as she said that, I looked over at my wife and I was like, that's where the kids got it from. During that time of them going over there and hanging out with their great-grandma, even at 87 years old, she is working on a legacy. And the legacy is not material possessions. It is people. And what do you think that means to God that she's spending her final years in prayer and pouring into her great-grandchildren a how to pray to a faithful God? I love you. praise you. And I would do anything for you. That's what God's going to hold you accountable for. Are you faithful with what he's placed in front of you during this season? The devil's going to talk you out of it. Are you faithful? I want you to hear this final verse in Revelation. So Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Revelation was given to John, who wrote the Gospel John, at the very tail end of his life. They say around 80, 80 to 90. Last of the disciples, the rest are all dead. God gives him a revelation as to how the world's going to end. And so he talks about it at the very end. And I want you to hear this. This is, this is powerful. Revelation 14, 13. This is John writing. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor. My favorite part. For their deeds will follow them. I listened to a podcast recently of a guy who had a, a hit TV show in the 90s. And he said that, like, I was on this show, it was big, and now because of reruns, because of streaming, because of, you know, licensed merchandise, I just sit at home and I'm still getting checks 20-something years later making money 
off of a show that I made a long time ago, and I thought, this is it. This is what John is talking about. This is what it looks like. When we get to heaven, if we've really left a legacy here for God on earth, we're going to be sitting in heaven. And Revelation says, that's when you rest. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come now rest in the joy of the Lord and rest. That's it. Until you're done breathing, we got work to do. If there's people in your family that don't know the Lord, you've got work to do. If there's people at your job that don't know the Lord, that are hopeless, that feel unlovable, that society has cast them aside and discarded them, you've got work to do. We rest then, and it says then our deeds will follow us. Imagine the man who led Billy Graham to the Lord, that none of you know his name, but it happened in a room that the world will never know about. And he's sitting in heaven right now for the last 10 years. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. The greatest Ponzi scheme of all time. That's how God set this up. The rest of the story is now we get to work. And our deeds will follow us. In Revelation, it talks about that the prayers are kept in these jars that are sitting at the throne room of God, meaning that after even you're gone here on earth, your prayers still have power. Are you praying for your children, for your grandchildren, for the people in your family? Because those prayers will still linger in the Lord even after you say amen, even after you're gone. So we talked about this last week. You may never see an answer to your prayer while you're here on earth, but oh, when you are resting, your deeds will follow you. No, I don't know about you, but the first thing that the devil tells me when I'm ready to go do something is he holds a mirror up and starts showing me how I'm unworthy to do these things. Like, you've done this, you've done that, you've done this. And and God is like, listen, it has nothing to do with you being worthy. It has to do with me being worthy. I met with one person. They were in my office, and they're like, man, I just feel like I really let God down. And I was like, oh, honey, you were never holding him up to begin with. Let's be very clear what our role is here. I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you. My challenge to you this week is to focus on leaving a legacy for God instead of a legend of your pride. That's a tough prayer. You are where you are at this season for a purpose. Pray that God gives you eyes to see it and opportunities to love on the unlovable. Because we got work to do, church. Amen. We got work to do. Would you stand up? I want to end it with this. I want to end it with this phrase. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Your salvation is through the gift of God, free gift. That's not how you get saved. But once you get saved, now you got work to do. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Who are you going to impact this week? Who are you going to impact this week? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, God, that you never stop pursuing people, Lord. I thank you, God, that your call is irrevocable, that the gifts you give us for your kingdom are under full warranty, and sin cannot separate us from our calling. So the same prayer that David prayed, search my heart, O God. Renew a spirit in me, God. I ask forgiveness. 
And I thank you that you want to use imperfect people for your perfect will, God. I pray for each man, woman, child from the sound of my voice, God, that they would have ears to hear what you have to say to them and eyes to see the hurting people that are around them so that we can make an impact in the world that we live in. I pray for the children that are down the hallway right now. pray for my children that are down the hallway right now. I pray that you give us all the strength to pour into those kids, to love on those kids, so that when we are gone, they are still carrying out a legacy for you, Lord. Help us to not be so self-centered about things that don't matter. And help us to major on the majors, which is always people, God, and how we can love the community around us. Lord, I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you and all God's people said. Amen. If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.